Welcome to Tech Talks, your technology podcast publishing on Mondays and Thursdays with David Savage and Jack Richard Pierce. Oh, very nice. Let's chat the middle name in there. This show is for the love of tech. Coming up on today's show, uh, we are talking about frictionless trade as we record in the eye of the storm that is Brexit chaos. But don't worry, don't turn off. This isn't necessarily going to be pro or anti-Brexit, but we are going to be talking about actually how technology can make a very real difference to trade tech in the UK and open up opportunities, whatever the political fallout may be. And then we do have a piece of news. We're going to be talking about how Los Angeles can become a tech capital. Hi, Jack. Hello. This is odd. We're recording twice in a day. I know. You're on a holiday tomorrow, which is Friday at the time of recording. Indeed. And Monday. Yeah. Uh, so we're recording on Thursday when the country appears to be falling apart at the seams. Labour yeah. have said they won't sign this deal. Half the Tories don't want to sign the deal. I pity Theresa May right now. I feel sorry for her. I feel bad for her. I think she's in an unwinnable position. She's been left dry by her party. She was a Remainer, lest we forget. And she's doing the best that she can. And I don't think anyone's trying to help her. The one thing I will say about all of this that vexes me is the attitude of the general public saying, oh, it's not good enough. Mm. We've been screwed over by the EU. If the shoe was on the other foot and we were the ones negotiating, trying not to give much away because mm. someone was leaving... Say Scotland had voted for refer- for, for independence yep. from the yep. UK yep. and there was some kind of negotiation uh, from a divorce. Yep. Do you think the English would want to take it easy on the Scots? Let's give them a good deal. Them? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. But people seem to think that the EU should be giving us stuff as favours. Yeah. Um, which is just bizarre. I mean, it's, it is beggar's belief. Whether I don't know what's going to come first. Another referendum on Brexit, a referendum on whether we should go for Brexit, a general election before Christmas. Who bloody knows at this point? One thing I will say is I will emigrate if Jacob Rees-Moggs gets into power. I will leave the UK. Oh, well, apparently the bookies have installed, if there was a vacancy, installed Dominic Raab as Prime Minister, <sighs> potential, as, as the favourite. I didn't even know who Dominic Raab was until he became until Brexit today. Sec- yeah. Well, no, until he became <laughs> Brexit Secretary. Um, but it's, there we go. I mean, I suppose that's better than Rhys Moggs, better than Boris. It just shows how volatile politics is right now. Yeah. Um, but look, we're talking about this, and there is actually a purpose, because um, today's interview is with the lead researcher from Public, uh, Johnny Hugill, who's put out a report about frictionless trade. Mm. As we're all aware, the backstop is probably the key uh, stumbling block in Brexit. Mm. This idea that we were this island nation. Like, hello, guys, we have a land border with the EU. Yep. I am a Remainer. Yes. We don't necessarily get overly political on this because it is about technology, but this is this is relevant. I am a Remainer. I would not really want to put forward an argument for leaving the EU. However... Boris Johnson and the Brexiteers have always said that technology could create a frictionless border. Mm-hmm. And in this podcast, as I hope this will show, actually that is entirely true. We're already there. We've already got the tech, guys. <laughs> and it's not just whether or not we leave the EU or not. Trade tech is a massive opportunity for this country and something that we should be explored regardless of what's going on right now. So. That's what this interview is all about. It's about the opportunity for startups. It's about the opportunity for accelerators and clusters and regional tech growth. So have a listen. I think it is on point 
topically because mm. of what's going on, obviously. Um, and we will chat and pick over some of the, the bits that stand out to us afterwards. And obviously stay tuned for the news. So on today's podcast, I'm joined by Johnny, uh, Johnny Hugo. You, what, what is your role here at Public? Uh, I'm Public's lead researcher. Uh, yeah. So I write all our reports, I kind of engage in our work with government and uh, see where the opportunities are for, for startups in uh, the public sector. And the reason I'm talking to you today is because you've published a report called Frictionless Trade. Yes. What is this all about? I've had the benefit of, of reading the report. It talks a lot about trade tech, talks about it being a 12.8 billion pounds industry by 2030. Yes. But many people won't be aware of, I suppose, the challenges and opportunities around trade and tech, I suppose. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you very much for reading it. It's always encouraging when someone, uh, <laughs> you know, you spend... I gen- genuinely <laughs> have actually <laughs> read good. quite a lot yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you spend months on these things and then you, pan- you know, put them out and you wonder if anyone's going to look at them. But... Yes, no, exactly. Um, we talk about frictionless trade, uh, which is really about how new technologies, in fact, existing technologies and also mm. maturing technologies, can support the UK to be a better trading nation. Um, and the reason we were so interested in this is because, you know, as I'm sure you know, there has never been more interest in trade and customs and quite esoteric policy well, from, from, from a context point of view, we should explain that we're recording this the, the day after the announcement yes. of the, that the text has been agreed on yeah, Brexit. So it's, it's very well timed. Exactly, whatever that means. Yeah. The text has been agreed. <laughs> the kind of headlines are becoming more and more mysterious yeah. every, every week. Uh, yes, you're, you're right. You know, maybe we should have done this tomorrow. But uh, <laughs> the text has been agreed and this whole debate has just been chugging along, taking ages. And whenever I go on Twitter, this might say something about my Twitter mm. following, but um, I just see every day we're talking about customs and trade and how the UK should be positioning itself as an international trading partner. And to be frank, no one's ever cared about this before. So it's a great time to kind of... But I think, I think the point is, regardless of Brexit and yes. whichever way things happen, as the report says, um, there are 65 leading startups around the world. 18 of them are in the UK. And trade tech, as we said, £12.8 billion pounds worth of, uh, of industry spend by 2030. Yeah. That's going to happen regardless. Complete, I completely agree. Um, so for us, the point wasn't really, let's solve some very narrow challenges around the Irish border mm. or about Brexit. It was more, this is just obviously so important to the UK. It's a massive industry. We, we want to be promoting high growth tech industries. Yeah. We talk about that all the time. Um, and obviously, given that 95% of our international trade comes through the seas, it obviously makes total sense for us to really yeah. promote innovation in the sector, experiment with new things. And what better time to do it than when everyone's all up in arms about what our trading situation is going to look like. So before we get into the report in a bit more detail, just quickly, yes. um, why, why have Public written this? What, what is Public's role and, and, as, as an organisation? Yeah, so Public's a kind of interesting new organisation. Uh, I haven't really seen anyone else like it in the UK at least. Um, so we're a kind of venture fund right. uh, and a research house uh, looking at how startups, tech startups, can uh, improve, transform public services. Mm. So the main way we do that is we invest in companies either directly or through our accelerator program. We have a portfolio of about 25 tech startups. Um, and the kind of markets and sectors we're interested in, it, we call GovTech. And, mm. and for that, that means kind of uh, tra- transport, justice, policing, health, all the kind of areas where the public sector spends a lot of its core budget. Uh, that might mean working with central government, that might mean working with local government and mayors. Um, but for us, we just kind of think in every other commercial sector, it's really startups that are driving innovation and uh, changing the game. And when we look at fintech, you know, the amount of involvement and value that startups have been able to add is quite remarkable, and, and no one would deny that. We think that in GovTech, or you know, public services, 
startups really could add the same value. But at the moment, they, they just really are struggling to kind of get a seat at the table. It's When we talk about public sector spend, it really is kind of with a, a set of traditional incumbent suppliers. Um, I won't mention any names, but I'm sure you can guess some. Yeah, yeah. And we think startups could just be you know, more efficient, cheaper, and, and ultimately more innovative. Now, I think then it's really insightful that your forward is written by Ben Houchin, who's the Tees Valley Mayor. Because you're talking about um, startups engaging with the public sector. When you think about startups engaging with enterprise, let alone yes. something as colossal as central government, yes. that's a challenge. Yes. So startups clustering around something like a port or a region or a city would appear to be potentially um, a, a, a better opportunity for them than trying to tackle Whitehall. Yes, I agree. I think you know there's very little consensus in our political debate at the moment, as it's become <laughs> abundantly clear. We're becoming more and more divided. But I would say that devolution or giving powers to local cities and mayors is something that most people can, can agree on is, is usually a good thing, especially in some areas. And I think trade is obviously one of those, right? We've got our ports. Um, they've been there for, for, for years, and they're such sort of core industrial assets in our cities and region. For instance, T-Sport is kind of at the absolute heart of the Tees Valley. Um, and it, it really does make sense that local mayors, um, cities, local governments um, kind of are the ones driving transformation in relation to these sectors. It doesn't really make as much sense. And this, this isn't fanciful because, I mean, the report yes. talks about Rotterdam. Exactly. Exactly right. You know, Rotterdam, Antwerp, Port of Singapore, these are all ports where the port authority, the local government, are driving innovation. You know, they're the ones reaching out to startups saying, we need help solving this problem. Mm. Uh, what I'd like to see is, um, you know, maybe the involvement of HMRC or the Department of Transport is them kind of mandating that these ports need to engage more with startups. But then we should leave it to the ports and we should leave it to the kind of local clustering um, to kind of sort itself out. What, what is the role of government in this? Because, I mean, look, everyone was aware of Dominic Raab's comments about a week ago around Dover yes, and Calais. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of people threw their hands up in, in horror. But it is challenging for central government. I read some really interesting articles on the Plain Out to Web Summit last week about how we're going to move towards uh, city-state mentality again. And you can certainly see that around um, the environment in the States when you look at how individual city mayors have, yes. have taken on the Paris Accord and, and, and really tried to champion that. Is this, a, is this another example of, of that around, as we were talking about, how Tees Valley can, can implement some of these technologies? But again, if that's the case, what is that role of central government? Yes, I agree. Um, I think in terms of innovation, we're seeing kind of localism driving that. Across yeah. Europe, it, it is the city of Berlin and Dortmund and Paris and Barcelona that are really at the forefront of this stuff. Uh, and as I said before, ports more than anything, it kind of makes sense for the local people to, to, to be sorting it out, uh, especially because each port is so different as well, which is something to keep in mind. The role of local government is a pretty, uh, sorry, the role of central government is quite a difficult one. Um, we've, we kind of engaged with the DFT and HMRC throughout writing this report. And they were really interested in it, but they weren't kind of that sure how to convert it into something tangible for them to, you know, for, for them to take away. Um, what we recommend is that organizations like HMRC and the DFT or the Department for International Trade should be looking at things like accelerator programs, uh, dedicated venture funds, or just other ways of kind of de-risking startups so that ports know, you know, this is an accredited startup that should be, can be rolled out tomorrow. Um, so what we say really is that we think central government does have a role in scouting out, mm. assessing, um, ecosystem mapping to kind of show ports and, and local port operators, these startups are great, we would thoroughly recommend you use them, we've de-risked them. Um, because, you know, again, 
the UK government has made it quite clear that they want to promote high growth tech startups, especially in things like AI. Yeah. What better sector than this multi-billion analog sector that, that needs to be transformed? Um, so I think that, that kind of is the role for central government. What I find quite interesting, if you look at the actual detail of the report, is it talks about how technology can improve the function of a port. And yes. two that jump to, to mind, obviously, given the current political climate, customs and border and, and port security. But it also talks about port management yeah. and the flow through a port. And immediately you can kind of go, yeah, IoT, yeah. that makes sense. Blockchain, that makes sense. AI, that makes sense. And, and the report talks about luminants who yes. are in the legal tech yes. sector. We've had them on the podcast. We interviewed Emily folks um, about four or five months ago. And you can see how existing tech startups can apply their tech to this problem. Yeah. And then you put that in the context of the political discourse where, look, I, I am a Remainer, uh, so this might be kind of giving a bit of credit here to the Brexiteers, but <laughs> frictionless trade using technology, it isn't magic. There are technologies here that could be applied to very easily track what comes in without necessarily having to have hard checks because IoT and, and yes. blockchain, et cetera, makes that possible. So what, why hasn't that been grasped at a higher level? And what do you think are the most interesting examples of how tech is uh, changing ports? Yes, no, I completely agree. And I think whenever we talk to people who are technical or from the tech sector, their two biggest frustrations are a lot of these challenges, number one, a lot of these challenges aren't that difficult and yeah. in commercial markets, they're already happening. And number two, as I mentioned before, a lot Rotterdam, Singapore, Antwerp, Dubai, it's also already happening. These aren't really you know, fantastical pipe dreams about how technology is going to solve everything as, as some kind of silver bullet. Um, there are quite obvious contributions that can be made. Uh, so as you mentioned, one thing that is quite interesting is that the UK actually has very strong tech sectors already that could make really valuable contributions. Uh, the one that springs to mind immediately is kind of virtual borders um, and, and using biometric identity solutions rather than traditional border infrastructure. Mm. So in the UK alone, right, we have, um, just to name a few, we have Ein, iProof, Aimbrain, uh, Yoti. All of these are startups that provide uh, identity solutions on your mobile rather than having to use traditional cumbersome password gates or or big border infrastructure. So our point here is that, look, when we're talking about creating virtual borders, it really isn't an enormous pipe dream. We have five or six really high-tech suppliers in the UK already that could probably do that tomorrow. And similarly, in, in commercial airlines, um, Qantas have already rolled out a big mm. biometric identity uh, pilot. Heathrow have announced that in 2019 they're going to be investing 50 million to a kind of big end-to-end -end biometric identity pilot. It does seem that our seaports 95% of our international trade, really should be kind of following the lead there. Yeah, because, because the report talks about, uh, I think Ben Houcher makes this point, that he'd like uh, Tees Valley to operate as a free port, legally outside of a country's custom, custom territory, which in the context of the news this morning, yes. when, I heard, when I heard one of the members of the ERG talking about, oh, well, you know, the technology solutions will be invented at some point. It's like, well, no, yes, if, exactly. if Tees Valley are talking about this now, why? Why? Yes. I mean, why have they not grasped that? Yes. Again, why not? No, I don't. How can, how can public or the tech sector help make that a reality so that we don't miss out on opportunities? Yeah. No, I know that you know, the tech solutions will be invented at some point. Guess what? The tech solutions are AI, yeah. computer vision, blockchain, asset tracking. They all exist and are used in almost every other sector. So uh, I completely disagree with that point. Um, and then, you know, 
the reason why is kind of difficult to assess. I think it's because a lot of this has been driven by politicians who are technical, mm. um, and we do need better engagement with the tech sector. You know, we, so we presented and launched this report in the House of Commons, and there were a number of MPs, we had Brexiteers, we had Remainers, who just simply had no idea about any of this stuff. So for them to listen to actual tech startups or technology providers in this sector to say, hey, look, this is actually manageable, this is what the pilot would look like, this is how long it would take us to scale, they had no idea. They'd, yeah. they'd never actually thought about it before. Um, so I think that's why the report and the kind of subsequent events and, and launches we had for it was just trying to bring together these two sectors that are fundamentally so different. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's very difficult, number one, for the tech sector to engage with government. It's, it's a completely different culture, way of, way of life. And again, there is no reason, really, why uh, MPs who have been doing, you know, not been engaging with this stuff for 20 years should really have an amazing knowledge of the ecosystem and of what technology can do and, and all of that. Uh, which does mean there is a question about who should be filling that role yep. and who should be helping MPs and who should be helping central and local governments to kind of map the ecosystem and, and show them the art and possible. Now, the report goes on to, to uh, give some advice to startups. Yes. I think this is quite interesting because it talks about uh, joining maritime accelerators yes. and it also talks about getting more funding than you need because yes. it may take 12 to 24 months to get anything in through an invoice. <laughs> um, now, everyone thinks of London. Yes. Because of the, the, the investment, you know, four billion pounds worth of investment in London versus one billion in the rest of the UK. But as we said before, these ports, ports could be Teesside or they could be Newcastle or it could be Glasgow. It's, yes. it's the industrial, more provincial, regional areas yes. of the UK. So that could be a big leap for a technology firm to go, oh yeah, we're going to go to this part of the country that maybe we know no idea about and then try and get access to the infrastructure that we need to grow. So what, what would your advice be to anyone who thinks this is an area that we could impact? Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, get more funding than you need. Yeah. <laughs> uh, easier said than done. Uh, raise a big round. That's our, that's our advice. Um, but it's, uh, I think it is important because these sectors are so difficult to break into. Uh, and a lot of our assessment was just kind of why, what are the barriers? Why are they so high? And how can we lower those? Uh, and that might be an area where government can, can really help, right? Because what we say really is that it's, it's basically impossible to break into the sector unless you... Uh, have a pretty strong background in shipping or trades. You know, most of the startup founders used to be on ships and kind of know how the thing works and, and have good contacts in the sector. Mm. Um, so one thing that absolutely needs to be done is we need to be engaging with innovators and encouraging them to be innovating in this sector in the same way that a 19, 20-year-old might invent a fintech solution from their bedroom because it makes more sense to them kind of how mobile payments work. They're never really going to invent a new port call optimization platform or something. From I don't know, they might watch the second season of The Wire and go, oh, I could, I could do something about that. <laughs> I agree. So, <laughs> so that, that, is a, that is somewhere where... Again, this could be something that central government can do. How can we better engage with innovators? Yeah, yeah. Uh, technology skilled people and say, look, here are our challenges. Guess what? It's a four billion pound market, soon to be 13 billion. Uh, who can help? And the, the rewards could be enormous. If the rewards could be enormous, it makes sense that there are mar uh, maritime accelerators. Yes, yes. Uh, you said earlier that every port was slightly different. Yeah. Where are the accelerators? Yes. Are there particular ports where they're clustering around? So, so uh, the UK is, doesn't have like a, a particularly strong maritime accelerator ecosystem. There right. are some. Uh, Startup Wharf, um, our, our, who is our report co-author, Leonardo Zangrando, he founded Startup Wharf, uh, kind of trying to bridge this problem. That's based in London. Uh, but one thing that we do recommend and that we would love to see is that one of these accelerators be set up around Mm. Because, as I was saying to you earlier, it doesn't really make sense for them to be in London. It kind of does make more sense for them to be in T-Sport or Nidoka or 
one of our big important ports. Um, and that kind of goes a bit towards the free port point as well. Um, I think one thing that could be so valuable about a free port is not only just that it might help to ease some of the immediate customs problems and uh, allow processing and storage to be, to be easier, but also it might be a nice place that we can have uh, you know, greater investment in R&D, we can get universities involved, research institutions, and we can get clusters of innovation um, where in the same way that we had clusters of innovation in the, in the financial tech sector, uh, where we can encourage local tech companies to cluster, um, maybe with R&D investment, um, or maybe with other kinds of, of fiscal relief and investment. Yeah. Well, look, Johnny, it's a pleasure ch chatting to you. It's, I will be perfectly frank, when someone said, do you want to talk about a trade report at <laughs> yeah. first? thought, really? But no, it is very yeah. interesting when you get into it, and it, it, it's, it's very topical. So. I, I imagine this is probably your first discussion about trade on Tech Talks. Uh, yeah, no, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully not the last. But no, it's one of the more interesting ones that we've had, so absolutely, uh, no, I really appreciate your time. Very good, it's been a pleasure. Right, Jack, what did you think? For one, I didn't know 95% of our international trade went through ports. <laughs> I really... You, you and Dominic, ex-Brexit yeah, ex, ex Exactly. Me and, me and Mr. Rab are on that same naive path there. I mean, that's frighteningly high. I mean, in a, it, frightening is probably the wrong word, but surprising. Yeah, I know, I know, but... I just yeah, that's just beggar's belief for me. And I'm from I'm near a sea uh, a port town. Harwich is about half hour from where I'm no, from. We think everyone everything gets into this country. I don't know planes. <laughs> I thought they'd just fly it in, drop it down, and off they go. For me, the key thing about this right that that, that shone through is that states, nation states, mm. have a really difficult task on their hand in the age of globalization, um, where traditional industries have have come under attack. Mm. Um, we don't need to go over that narrative. Everyone's well aware of it. Um, it's very, very, very difficult for, for governments to effectively run countries to the benefit of their population. Yeah. Like, not wanting to give a massive pass for governments that are failing around the world and that are allowing populism to, to rear its ugly head. Yeah. But it's not an easy task. No. I think the only way that's, that, that central government can help is actually supporting local government. Well, this it's, idea that, that localism drives innovation is a really strong one. Divulging power and decision-making to local governments, to mayors. You know, you are talking earlier in the show uh, and last week about the Paris Accord being signed by mayors in America going over Donald Trump's head to do that sort of thing yeah. against his word. And I, I, I can't that agree with that more. That shows their level of influence. Mm. But let's face it, it's a, it's a 21st century trend. I think at the beginning of the century, or the turn of the century, there was one elected mayor possibly in this country, London. And I actually know it might have been that the first election for mayor was, was in the 21st century. And at last count we had... What? Who was that? That was the one... That was old matey, weren't it? The Labour guy. Ken, it was before Ken, I think. Ken, not Ken. That is the first... But Ken, Ken is got. the first one that pe people are probably yeah. fully, fully yeah. aware of. Yeah. Um, but now you've got, what, 23 mayors, I think, at last Andy count? Andy Burnham in Manchester. You've got Andy Burnham in Manchester. You've got uh, Andy Street, who's yep. spoken on the show before, yep. um, in the West Midlands. Obviously, there's Ben um, in Tees Valley that we yep. talk about in the podcast. Um, so these people have a real... Um, they have real power locally and yeah. they have a really important role as well to play in shaping the economic future of, of those regions. Of their, yeah, of, of their areas. And I think 
as I was as I was listening to to, to Johnny explain about Singapore, Antwerp, Rotterdam, Dubai, you know, the mayors in those in those places are driving innovation. It just sort of made me think there needs to be, you know, today as as Johnny says and as we say, you know, it is startups that drive innovation, and yeah. then those startups are usually bought out by a bigger company or something like that. But it's like you need that for me. It's hyper local innovation yeah. drive to best suit your port, if you will. I, I don't think that the nation state is, is going to go into retreat. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that this is the end of statehood. But um, city-states, that it idea... Works. Well, actually, in the case of London, you really do have a city-state to you a do. certain degree with its administrative the way it's uh, yeah. run. But existing within existing nation-states... Know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. As, that as that is that. a model... That is a, probably a 21st century model that we're going to see... I think this is this is an expansion of that at the minute rather it's, than anything else. It's rather ironic, isn't it, that the reason we're Brexiting is because a lot of people were worried about Europe becoming like America, becoming a state system rather than individual countries. Yet because of Brexit, we're saying we need to give these cities and areas, for us in the UK, more power to become an almost state-like operation. Like, I don't even it's... think it's because of Brexit, even though. No, I, no, no, I, no, not I'm at all, not at all, yeah. I, I think it's just Brexit ironic plays that, into that. Yeah, yeah. Like, if we get back to trade tech, three billion dollar industry now mm. will be a thirteen billion dollar industry by twenty thirty. If you are in Tees Valley, to be perfectly frank, I am from the northeast of England. I am from an old shipbuilding town, right? It just, it just, you just remind me of someone like from Kez or Billy Elliot. Like you're talking about your hometown. <laughs> but it is. It's a shipbuilding yeah, yeah, town. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you look at Sunderland, another town in the northeast, yeah. it's a dump. It is. Why? Because it relied on shipbuilding. What doesn't happen there anymore? Shipbuilding. Right. If you look at Teesside, if it doesn't have an active port because it was a big petrochemical um, region, mm. then it is stuffed. And the people in those towns who voted to leave because mm. they are they feel disenfranchised. And as someone who comes from that region, I understand why they feel that way. Um, without strong local leadership, uh, getting investment into the area and creating jobs through technology, then they are stuffed. It's time to give that power back to communities. As as uh, Johnny says, yeah. the role of HMRC uh, and DFT is 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 um, to basically be a rubber stamping to to give to help venture funds into an area yeah. and to de-risk startups going yeah. into those areas. Now, of course, there are challenges because you, you think about London, you've got four billion pounds worth of investment and out of five billion yeah, in the and UK, then one yeah. billion in the rest of the UK, and if you're talking about Tees Valley, it's to be perfectly frank, you wouldn't immediately imagine, well, it's going to be a place that I'd like to live. Yeah. Because Middlesbrough yeah, yeah. and Stockton-on-Tees aren't known for being overly salubrious. No. Um, They're nicer up there, though, Dave, like we said in last week's show. <laughs> <laughs> but people should give these regions a chance. Why and, wouldn't you? And you when got... you've got strong leadership like Ben is obviously providing, and and the free port... Like, I love the idea that he wants to make it a free port outside of even the UK. Principality, territory. almost. I love yeah. that, the principality of borough. Um, but, I mean, if you've got... Like you say, it's going to be a £30 billion industry and it's 95% yeah, of 13, our... In- 13, 13 sorry. Yeah, yeah. And it's 95% of our international trade. Why the hell are we not taking this more seriously? Yeah. Why are startups not thinking money to be made? Now, just on the technology point, right? Um, we... Uh, touch on the fact that um, the Brexiteers seem to think that we can employ technology to make sure there's a frictionless border on the island of Ireland. And actually, they're right. Yes. On that one, they are actually right because automation, okay? There'll be a move to greater automation in the sector. Actually, that could include autonomous ships. Talk about autonomous vehicles. Ding dong, why not? Perfect sense. 
Titanic um, AI. <laughs> which could drive off greater efficiencies in, 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 in international trade. Um, moving paper-based processes to software platforms. Definitely. So sending an avocado to Kenya, sorry, from Kenya to Rotterdam apparently takes 200 communications between 30 different stakeholders, okay? A vast amount of majority is paper-based. One key area will be just moving some of these paper-based processes online into a slicker software platform. A lot of chat around Brexit has been what do we do about Brexit compliance. We mentioned in the podcast about Luminance. Luminance could cut yes. compliance by 75% using an autonomous platform. AI to cut away the boring stuff that these yeah. civil servants shouldn't be wasting their time on. Blockchain. We've been speaking to State Zero Labs. Data uh, frictionless. Of, of, of late. They, you know, yeah. People get very excited about blockchain, but actually blockchain can make a difference where it's needed. In this case, using blockchain to track assets and documents across the supply chain, promoting greater levels of transparency and security. Uh, one UK startup that we can mention, Marine Transport International, recently built the first ever blockchain bill of landing document. Right? Oh. Okay. AI-enabled customs declarations. AI can be used to make assessment of custom declarations smarter and more targeted, spotting undetected um, opinions in vast customs data sets. Israeli startup Alidoc has done some really cool place in this space, uh, really cool work in this space, rather. Yeah. So when, that is when really I listen relevant. to the radio and they're talking about Brexit and they've got someone from ERG on saying, well, the tech's going to be around in a couple of years. The tech does actually exist to achieve this. And this, this links back to what Johnny was saying here as well. You know why these MPs are saying that. Because they're not educated on the, on, yes, on the and, tech. And, 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 and Johnny makes yes, that yeah. point very clearly. But again, it comes back to education on tech. Where does it start? When you, if you're an MP in, in the UK, for me, it should be your responsibility to know how to better improve the, the constituency you represent. Yeah. And if you're not thinking that tech is that way to improve the lives and well-beings of your constituency, yeah. you should not be an MP. Yeah. Like, how do they get this far? Well, no, no I... But then it, it is... But uh, to, to counteract that, by devil's hard. advocate to my own point, it should be... Like, startups should be inviting... Or, or there's an event every night in London, easily, on yeah. AI, on blockchain, on whatever. They should be inviting MPs to them. That should be more. I wrote down earlier. It's always tech versus government. You know, culture couldn't be different. Spend couldn't be different. Yeah, yeah. It's miles and miles apart. A co-founder, a founder of a startup, and an MP are totally different people. But there needs to be a marriage. Yeah, both of us are getting quite riled. I know and, it's and, so exciting, and, and it's easy to kick the political class at the moment. And actually, breathing more deeply and taking a step back, um, <laughs> Chi, who I met at um, Web Summit, right. I thought, I'm meeting a Labour politician at Web Summit. What are they really going to know about politics? Sorry. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> Freudian slip or what? Come from a Labour vote. Yeah. Uh, I felt like I no, Lib Dem. Uh, That's what? me, the Labour vote. Oh, you're right, sorry. Yeah. What are they really going to know about tech? And I was proven wholly wrong. Because good, I, I, good. I, I listen to people talk about technology mm. from the political class on telly and I go, oh, God, they don't know what they're talking yeah, about. And yeah. obviously what Johnny's saying here kind of supports that, but they just aren't aware of the solutions. But she was a trained engineer. Yeah. And she knows a lot more about technology than I do, for sure, yeah. and will ever know. Yeah. So we shouldn't just write off the political class. They have incredibly difficult jobs. Yeah. But no, my I point know. being that actually there's a huge amount of opportunity here that the UK could grasp. And we're, talking, we're not talking about fantasy here. We're talking about Rotterdam, Antwerp, Singapore, and Dubai as ports that are smart ports that are employing these... Sounds um, like um, an Intertoto Cup qualification for yeah. cities, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, that are employing these technologies. And 
if we go back to our earlier point about city-states mm. using technology to create opportunity, we can talk about Dortmund and Paris and Barcelona. To plug another podcast, Reasons to be Cheerful, yeah, um, yeah. they had the, I can't remember if it was the CDO or the CIO from Barcelona on their show, but talking about how technology can help democracy. Yes. Right? So trade tech, huge opportunity, but the opportunity needs to be grasped by central government helping local government yep. and local government, whether it's trade tech or any opportunities being presented, needs to be able to, uh, I, I suppose, need the help from central government. You know, it's that, mm. it's that symbiotic relationship to actually yeah, implement clusters yeah. and, and grow innovation because we know, and we'll come on to this after the advert break, we know that where you've got diverse um, localised clusters, actually that drives jobs, growth, investment, everything everything comes from it. Yeah, for me, it's you've got to divulge power down because otherwise we'll stagnate and, you know, 95% of our international trade is going for our ports. Let's make it easier. Yeah. And this is a great way to redistribute wealth around the UK. Exactly. You would, the, before you know it, T's will have investment for VCs. Mm. God knows Stockton on T's needs it. You can't say that, man. You're going to isolate another area. Stockton on there T's. you go. Of course you have. I have. Lancelot, yeah. my wife's great-grandfather. His name's Lancelot. Oh, yeah, I found that out on uh, My Ancestry. That's badass. <laughs> I'm desperate if I have a child to call it Lancelot. <laughs> Arthur, you don't hear many Arthurian literature names anymore. <laughs> Guinevere. Lance. One of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, look, stick with us. Uh, we are having a quick advert break, but we're going to be back with the news. Johnny, thanks for coming on the show. Um, like we said, trade. We, who knew it was going to be so exciting? And, yeah... We're probably more worked up than we've ever been. Yeah, easily we could we, we could still debate this. And we will include links to public in the uh, in the show notes. So go check them out. Hi folks, Dave here. I wanted to let you know that we've teamed up with audible.co.uk and we're offering you a free audiobook. All you have to do is register for a one month free trial to claim your free audiobook, of which there are over. 250,000 to choose from. It's a 30-day free trial. It means you can choose a free audiobook which is yours to keep whether or not you decide to cancel that trial period or not. Free piece of advice, if you're going to try an audiobook, go for Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. Anyway, sign up at www.audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks. Back to the show. Welcome back to Tech Talks. It is time for Monday's news. And the news is taken from a wholly new website for us. It's taken from Curbed. It's a very good article. It is a very good yeah. article. Can Los Angeles become a tech capital? And I picked this because... Obviously, we were talking about clusters and we were talking about um, accelerators, etc., helping da, da. tech trade, or trade tech rather, in the UK. Mm. But here's another example, again, of how hyper-localized um, clusters can drive innovation. Yeah, yeah. Out of, not just out of innovation, but out of a means to want that there sort of thing as well. Well, I think, right? I think the thing is, when we talk about oh, we need to become a hub for tech, mm. cities need to have a clarity about why or what kind of tech i love that so the point i made was the the tech 
needs to be around a city's identity. Yeah. So with this, for example, LA is media. And then I flippantly come up with Liverpool music tech. I mean, again, I'm using that very loosely. Liverpool was famous for its music. They should embody that in their tech and then that will grow inspiration. Other people will come with their technologies. This is, oh, oh, oh. I'm, yeah, a million miles a minute. But that's my point. Well, no, I mean, look, this, this makes the point that um, LA is going through a bit of a renaissance uh, because there's uh, a renaissance in the growth of entertainment and content. Uh, and, and there's a merging of tech and entertainment and content is king at the minute. So the potential from harnessing the existing entertainment workforce in LA is incredible. And let's yep, face it, yep. Hollywood, you've got the biggest hub of entertainment on the planet there. Yeah. And I didn't realise it was an hour's flight to San Francisco. I thought they were a lot closer than that. Yeah, San Francisco's San up Francisco. the coast. It's north. We north. were talking before and we said maybe it's south. Maybe, yeah. I but think it's north. I thought that it was like a London to Birmingham distance. I didn't realise oh, it was quite that California's huge. Yeah, I know. I'm just thick. But <laughs> I didn't realise it was that far away. And do you know what else I learned? I mean, it's slightly going off kilter here. But I now know what the areas in Silicon Valley are called. Silicon Valley are called. Santa Monica. No, that's Silicon Beach. Fuck, it's Silicon up. Beach is Los Angeles, mate. What? Have so, you read the article? Yeah, I have, but misread that bit. <laughs> oh, but this is really interesting, okay? So um, VC firms are setting up shop in Southern California. Yes, SoCal. Yeah. Uh, in 2016, LA and Orange County startups raised $5 billion collectively. Right? As much as us. The LA is on track to record, to set a record for VC investment in 2018. Five years ago, a founder who wanted to keep their company in LA would get a lot of questions. Today... Um, he says, why would I need to be anywhere else? Well, it's, and, and it makes they, sense. They talk about like rent prices and things like that. All the stuff that we always talk about, regions versus London. And it seems as though LA is almost the regional part yeah. uh, in this relationship, which is really, really weird for me to comprehend because every film you have in the world, you're either saving New York or you're saving Los Angeles. If, Independence Day. Yeah. All of those kinds of films are around saving LA or New York. And it's just... It, I didn't realise LA had a bit of an inferiority complex now because of Silicon Valley. Yeah. yeah. Now look, whilst we're talking about Brexit, here, here come my political views. Here into comes this. Brexit, Dave. Right. Uh, as every industry embraces tech, more economically diverse cities like LA become more valuable. London, Ooh. 33% uh, of the tech workforce come from overseas. Yes. Anything that harms that is bad because we know that a larger, more diverse population and economy mm -hmm. leads to more jobs, okay? Uh -huh. And there's a study here from the firm Beacon Economics that predicts that LA County will add 16,500 digital media and film-related jobs in the next three years, right? If you want growth, if you want jobs, yep. you need diversity. If you throw up borders, you are shooting yourself in the foot. And the head, if you're asking me. <laughs> you might as well. Honestly, that is true. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we, 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 we're seeing now, I mean, I really like the points around um, Elon Musk. You know, he's, he's, already, he's already going there with SpaceX and he's already starting yeah. an underground infrastructure there as well, Hyperloop. And it, yeah, and again, it talks yeah. about SpaceX, but it talks about the, the fact that along with Tesla and Hyperloop, yeah. he has created yeah. another industry cluster. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because we're beginning to talk about uh, the employee-employment relationship changing and people working in tribes. It's almost like yeah. tech companies have their own version of tribes and those are clusters. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're like, right, if we want to work together and collaborate and create a little um, microeconomic kind of success yeah. story, then we all need to kind of b bundle around each other. And that's, that's where regions and cities can make their play yeah. to be relevant and to have, to have the job growth and, and interest Dude, more broadly. I mean, Tesla must have a HQ in Europe somewhere. Do we know where that is? 
don't know where that is. Tesla, Tesla have offices in London. They do? Yeah. They do, because I, I know... We, they we they spoke... were the first ever podcast on Tech Talks. Really? The UK MD of Tesla at ah, the time. Because yeah. I, I know there's, there is a big autonomous driving college or something like that between Oxford and Cambridge. And I just wondered if it was there. Autonomous anyway, driving digress. college? Not is that, college, where, is, but, it, no, is but, that where you sit in a seat and go, yep, it's driving itself? <laughs> yeah, sit with a VR headset on all day and you're like, oh, is this driving me? Last episode, we uh, were talking about Vimla from Manchester, who made the comments about London being possibly a bit too big to be able to get under the skin of it. And we both sort of went, well... There, there's an interesting point here around the challenges that as a, as a city's tech scene grows, yes. um, a decentralised nature is one of the biggest drawbacks. The article goes Ooh. on to say that the city's sprawl constricts growth opportunities, making it harder to create the critical mass of companies employees typically required for successful innovation. So that, actually, that, that does support her view that if you've got a small city that doesn't sprawl, you can create that critical mass. Now, London is probably sure. slightly different because it's already reached that critical mass. Yes. But I can see the argument, therefore, for some of the cities in the north, like Newcastle or Leeds, that are quite small. Mm. Newcastle takes 10 minutes to walk from side to side. It's a small really? city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. um, That they can be... They can have, they can have hyper-growth. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, even now we're seeing it with, with, with Old Street to Shoreditch to here east. It is, London is still sprawling out further east and east and east. I, I bet you it'll go past Stratford. So before you know it, it'll be in Ingateston. But it, yeah, there's still a chance to, to grow locally in London. Just mm. probably it's a lot harder and more expensive, right? Yeah. Look, I think, I think the whole point around this, around trade tech, um, around the way that technology uh, can unlock opportunity, mm. the way that cities like Dortmund and Paris uh, and Dubai, mm-hmm. uh, Singapore, and Barcelona yep. are really focusing on what their strengths can be. That's it. Is yeah. a really pertinent one, right? Yeah. And maybe today's episode is a bit of a rambling one on the back of public's chat yeah. about frictionless trade and this article kind of supports and expands on that in, a, in another locale. Yeah. But I think it's a really interesting point for people to think about. Like the, the era of, of the state being the most suitable mechanism for supporting industrial growth maybe has gone and it is down to increasingly um, strong local leadership to take responsibility to look after people in their in their region i couldn't agree more and maybe just maybe leaving the eu will allow the uk to operate more hyper locally internally because like I said earlier, it is rather ironic that we leave the EU because a few people, especially the smarter Leave voters, were worried that we would become a United yes. States of Europe. And we get riled, but it's, yeah. I, I know some incredibly intelligent, far more intelligent and articulate Absolutely, people than me yeah. who voted Leave. Yeah, yeah, same. For same. good reasons. Yeah, for, for those reasons as well. And for, you know, my girlfriend's parents are both dentists, both work for the NHS. Mm. They voted to Leave to save the NHS. There was reason, not because of the fucking bus. <laughs> Poster. They're not stupid. They're very smart people. But there was other reasons that went no. right over my head when they explained it to me as it would. But I mean, I do think that Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds, Sheffield. There's so many Newcastle. wonderful cities. Newcastle. Yep. Sorry. Borough. Sunderland. Uh, Blackpool. We'll forget about Sunderland. But we again. But Plymouth. And other <laughs> Black, ports Blackpool. Blackpool. Put port towns. Blackpool is not a port. It's got. A, it's got a fucking beach, mate. It's close enough. Doesn't mean it's a port. Anyway. 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 <laughs> is Claxton a port? Uh, it depends what you're importing. <laughs> you've anyway, been to um, I, I, I do agree. I do think we need to divulge more power and innovation yeah, yeah. locally. Yeah. Look, thank you for listening. 
Enjoy, enjoy your Monday. We recorded this uh, at half four on Thursday, so God yeah. knows what state the country's now in. But uh, <laughs> we hope you had a nice weekend. I'll, I'm in Amsterdam this weekend, so I'll try and get the views of some Dutch people on Brexit. Oh, that'll be fun. I know. Uh, and we'll catch up on Thursday. Bye.